don't know. I don't yeah. want to say anything mean about it. it. Look, I, you know, anybody, if, if movies turn people on, I'm happy that they do, you know, and it's, it's, there's no doubt about it that the youngers, the 20 somethings, uh, need identity to be an important factor in everything that they love. It's just how they see the world now. They're an activist generation. It's really weird because they they trust institutions. They trust the mainstream media. They trust politicians. <laughs> totally opposite yeah. my generation that grew up totally distrusting all of that and made outsider art, you know. Um, I think they want... Academy kids, that phrase that I came up with uh, a few years, and somebody said, one of the commenters, might have been film classic actually, saying that it's not that the that race, gender, and sexuality are important to you know millennial age and younger people. It's everything to them. It's not important. No, I know. These- Trust me, I've I've meditated a lot on this because my daughter is one of the people that grew up in this generation, and she. What they did was, essentially, they all are the first generation to come of age completely online without real life. And what they did was, in my opinion, they made order out of chaos because they came of age at a time when they were branded from birth by corporations. They're given everything they could ever want at their fingertips. They have a smartphone in their hand. They can watch anything they want, anytime they want. They can take a picture. A map tells them where to go. They can order food. They can order a lift. You know, we didn't have any of that. We had to, like, rifle through our trunk for the Thomas Guide, you know? (laughs) We had to look at Yellow Pages or call call 411 or, you know, life has been made convenient and easy for them. But I think that sort of thing, when you have too many choices, makes you feel depressed and full of anxiety. You need structure. You need discipline. Mm-hmm. You need people to tell you how to think and how to behave. So they've they've created this whole bizarre new religion, this structure, this hierarchy of people yeah. who matter and people who don't, and language that you're supposed to say and language that you can't say ever, and history mm-hmm. that we're supposed to love and history we're supposed to shun and hate and destroy. Yeah. And they've done this, and mm-hmm. we've just been kind of going about our lives not realizing this thing was happening. And now they're all adults. <laughs> they're joining the workforce and they're making movies and everything. And they've taken that thing. And because yeah. their religion says that you have status if you're marginalized, you have status if you're a person of color, the only way white kids can be part of that and be shielded online, be protected, mm-hmm. have power, is if they're transgender, if they're non binary, if they're gay. Even yeah. just being gay yeah. isn't enough anymore. You know, like you, you have to have something else. You can't just be like Andrew Sullivan, a gay man. You won't, you don't have protection. You need yeah. to be part of this queer culture. You need to be part of one of these protected groups. It's all very bizarre, honestly. <laughs> but at the same time, we're not part of it. You know, we're not part of it. It's just the way it is. Thought really? I've thought a lot about it, and and to me it feels like a cult. I'm sorry to say, and I understand why it's a cult because these kids need structure. They're freaking out, you yep. know, and and the parents, the, the loosey goosey granola cruncher parents, aren't going to give it to them. And the conservatives yeah. already have structure because they're all basically Christian or Jewish or something. Their morality and their societal rules are already in place. But these kids grew up with parents like me with no religion. Just being like, mm-hmm. I'm going to boost your self-esteem, honey, and overprotect <laughs> you at the same time, you know? 
These are kids who were born in the wake of Columbine and 9-11 uh, yeah. and, and being drugged when they're in elementary school because they're not acting perfect and being rewarded for uh, being broken and having anxiety. And mm -hmm. um, they're not being taught what we were taught, which is get out there and achieve something, youngster, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's no wonder that someone like, insert filmmaker here, I don't want to insult anyone, is basically ushered in and expected that they're going to get rewarded for just coming with their identity. Here we are living at a time when if one quotes Martin Luther King and says that the paramount way of dealing with culture, with life, with individuals on a, on a, is to assess people and react to the content of their character. That is regarded as an old fuddy-duddy way of processing life. And it's something that it, it meant so much to me all my life because those words rang true when I heard them as a teenager and I've never lost them. But it's not what they want to hear. It's not their thing. Well, I'll tell you this. It's choking... It's choking the life out of film, like they're choking a rabbit, like they're just killing it. It's it's done, right? The only yeah. choice they have is to go to streaming because on streaming, they can do what all cults do. They can abandon society and build a utopia where they're not yeah. answerable to anyone. And um, I think mm -hmm. that's what they want to do, you know, and, and uh, because you, the market isn't, look at them. People aren't coming to see these movies. They're just like, we're done. No, thanks. See ya. Yeah, yeah. So, um... it's like I, I said a long time ago, and this is something that just shatters me when you think about civilization having been used to and upset, accepting the idea of the uh, of theater and and film delivering a statement, a an experience, a story that is basically over in two hours, maybe three occasionally, but basically it's a, you know, the, the proscenium arch thing is gone in the matter of the last 20 years. And it's kind of, well, it wouldn't horrible. be if they just gave the, I wrote this piece on my Substack just today about this, that where, you know, mm -hmm. a, 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 you know, a, a, an alpha male flying fast cars and getting the girl, right. It's like the movie, the menu, he gives her a cheeseburger. Yeah. That's what she wants. <laughs> She mm -hmm. just wants a fucking cheeseburger, right? So it's like it's people are not complicated. We've been responding to the same stories for centuries, right? We we need mm -hmm. our heroes. We need our gods and goddesses. We need a shared yeah. story. You know, we need to be able to sit under one roof and say, I know that movie. I understand that movie. I love that movie. Yeah. Um. And instead of what's wrong with that movie, you know, like they didn't cast yeah. this person. They didn't cast that person. They didn't, I think picking yeah. Charlotte Wells and After Sun makes people feel safe because they know it's a right, quote unquote, choice. Michelle Yeoh makes them feel safe because they know it's a right choice. Picking everything everywhere, they know we're going to be okay. Nobody's going to attack us online. We're not going to be accused of being part of anything sinister. It makes them feel safe, so they reach for it. They dive for it, you know. Um, but I think that well, I look at my daughter well, think, who, who wants to be a writer. Ahead. Let me just finish this one thought. My daughter wants to be a writer, and she says, oh, mom, I thought of this really great idea, but then I realized I couldn't write it. I was like, why? And she's like, well, because I can't do this, I can't do And then she comes up to me another time, I got this great idea for a book, I really want to write it. Oh, but then I realized I couldn't do this. Like, they're growing up, you know, in a world full of no, you can't, instead of yes, you can, you know? 
screw it. The only thing you have to do is turn that part of your brain off that cares what other people think and write about you. And if you can do that. Creative person, if you let that be any kind of major consideration, you can't think about it. You've got to go with what is inside of you and you've got to let it out. And you can shape it and refine it and make it work in a certain way. But if you're thinking, oh, I can't do this because they'll say, you're finished, man. Mm-hmm. You're not. So, but at my age, I, I don't care anymore. But, Sorry, go ahead. I've talked yeah, enough. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I just was saying that I, I think the, the first 15, 20 years, maybe, maybe more like the first 10 or 15 years of my <clears throat> writing life, I don't think really that I stopped caring about, or mostly caring anyway, uh, until like I was at it for like 20 years and, and the, there's no other way to get through the life of a writer mm. or try to write is you can't be worrying about the condemnation or the, or the thumbs down that may be coming your way. You, you just can't let that be a thing or you're, or you're doomed creatively. You just, I mean, I just think of never... these people in this Reddit group where just saying the mm-hmm. truth bothers them. Like you can't express the truth because you have all these rules you have to follow can't say this you can't say that you can't say this thing and um Mm -hmm. for me growing up and even now like i you know i reached for art and comedy and science and all of that because i wanted the answers because our generation was coming out of generations that already had the answers in christianity and christianity had Mm -hmm. such a grip on culture and hollywood for so long really until like the, the 60s and 70s when they started to break away from it and um, mm-hmm. and they started to be and and I grew up you grew up in that era and so these movies movies by Woody Allen you know by Martin Scorsese by Francis Ford Coppola um, even mm-hmm. Catherine Bigelow you know and Jane Campion like they scratched that itch in my mind of I want to know you know I want to know show me the truth uh, show you know make some sense of all of this and uh, mm-hmm. and it was so vital and important to me in my life growing up that uh that to see it gone now is devastating to just not have oh. that anymore in movies you know it's funny um about how i was thinking about the um you know what's uh, coming this coming year is uh, let's talk about Alexander Payne i have such great uh, a great feeling of hope and expectation for his film, The Holdovers. Did you read those reactions that happened during Toronto when he I think, showed it? Yeah, Secret? I think Jordan had it on his site, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and anyway, that I wanted really, to just—I just want to cap off that last thing I said to you with with one more thought, final thought, and then I'll stop lecturing and bloviating. But listen, the whole point of that, the whole point of being able to find the truth in art and all of that, is. Now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I had a point I wanted to make, and it was about Alexander Payne. Oh, forget it. It's gone. <laughs> Sorry. Stop Maybe it'll come back to I me. Opera. That's the one thing you don't want to do when you're talking with a friend. Don't stop their flow. If they've got something out there, you know. Just... I forgot what I was uh, going to say to you, but it was important. <laughs> it was. Damn it. Oh, well. I'm wondering about whether to, um, you know, be a can person again, which I could theoretically do. And uh, Jordan, by speaking of Jordan, he is um, seems to be fairly confident in hearing from two people on the uh, Martin Scorsese team. The, um, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio thing, uh, but Killers of the Flower Moon 
that that's probably going to go there. And I was thinking that would be exciting to be to be one of the first people to see that, especially since mm-hmm. it's not going to open until November. So I'm thinking about that. But um, but I'm very, uh, you know, every every year at this time, uh, I'm so cynical and depressed and gloomy about about the Oscar thing. In the old days, I would think, well, I can focus on Sundance and and kind of you know jump into that yeah. that cool freshness. And now I I don't do that anymore because I find that whole Sundance realm to be so woked up. I can't stand it uh, going in. But last year there were like three or four films, including four or five films even that um, like this like the Sandy Newton thing, which you didn't like that, that much, but I thought it was pretty good. The um, you know mm. the, the woke new against the Montana bumblefucks with their right. I would have loved it if they stuck to the book and made him a white guy. Yeah, then I would have liked it. But adding race into it, it just, to me, it ruined it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm getting, it's like, this is, this has been a, a, historically a cool time to kind of cut loose and everything. If you were me, would you come to, to, to Santa Barbara and just to do that? Because that's, that's. Yes. uh, If I were you, I would go to Santa Barbara because, Roger always treats you so well, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you get that, why pass it up, man? Life is short. Go for it. Santa Barbara's yeah. beautiful. It's a fun festival if you're staying in a nice hotel. God, it's just the greatest. Are you kidding? Um, I know. I now yeah. I remember what I wanted to say, which is that yes. getting through all that stuff that I told you just about the, the, the you know, movies, not people not paying to see movies anymore and all of the, the truth being gone and purged out of most movies, not all, but most. Most. I have, that's what's brought me to this point of not censoring myself and just saying what I think, come what may. Letting uh-huh. the cards fall, letting people say what they want, you know, and, and I don't care anymore that much because the thing that I care about has been taken away. I don't care if they think of me as a good Puritan anymore. Like that's gone. So I feel like I think that's where I might be ahead of the curve, but I think that's where people have to go to be able to survive this moment. You have to be Rod Serling and you have to be able to say, you know what? They don't like it, but I'm going to make this Twilight Zone because it's the truth about people, you know? Well, that's what I admire about you deeply is your is your strength of character, basically, you know, and it's really something that I, that I really take my hat off. And there's not too many people like you. Yeah, and back at you on that front. We're both sort of out there just <laughs> telling it like it is. And you know what? Mm. I think that's why people read our stuff, honestly. I think that they go to different sites because and they know they're just going to get lied to. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you read all this crap. Nobody's talking about anything. It's just crap, yeah. right? Um, and I think that they go to your site. I don't know about my site, but for sure, you know, and both of us get annoying, constantly attacked in the comment section, you know? Yeah. Like, yep. I just see the first two lines of a comment and I don't bother. It's a like, typical Sasha or um, <laughs> her terrible picks for the, and I just don't read the rest of it. You know? yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, people are engaging because they know that when they come to your site, they're going to get authentically Jeff Wells for better and worse, yeah. you know? Yeah, they're going to get authentically me. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you the truth as I see it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that's important, man. Hey, by the way, have you been to any of these innumerable uh, kind of uh, you know screenings and small parties? And you know, I mean, they're, they're happening all over the place. And 
You know uh, me. Do you think I go to these things? A social gadfly and everything. But I just was wondering, have you have you decided to attend any of them? You must get invited to quite so a few you, of them. What no. do you think the answer to that question is? No, you're not. You're staying <laughs> and sitting on the right. That's right. I would never go. The only person that ever, I had two people in my life who dragged me to parties. And that was you and David Carr. And and without you guys, like, what? I, I can't think of any reason why I would want to. I, I'm, you know, I feel bad about it, but, you know, it's a very busy time of year for me. I have a lot going on and, and I run a website. So it's not like I could just disappear for six hours and um, yeah. go to yeah. a party where I watch a bunch of people, you know, rubbernecking at celebrities. Like, I just... There's something soul-sucking about it, honestly. Some of those things are really cool. Like, honestly, the thing I got to do one time, which was sit in an almost empty theater in the third row and watch Paul Thomas Anderson interview Martin Scorsese about Wolf of Wall Street. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. Now, I put that on video. It's on my YouTube. But that was the cool one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me in this job. Mm -hmm. So I would never pass up mm -hmm. something like that. But... In general, the schmoozy stuff has just never been my thing. Yeah. I think people just stop inviting me to things because they know that I don't go. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's like... Think I can't... yourself in that regard to such an extent that they're not inviting you anymore. What's, what's <laughs> funny about that is in high school, my history teacher, his nickname for me was No Show Stone. <laughs> <laughs> no okay. Show... I'm still No Show Stone. So sad. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I didn't really get in this for the parties. I know you like to go and talk to people and stuff. And you act like a real reporter when you're there. You know, you ask them real questions and stuff. Um, yes. Which makes them yes. very mad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but that one little thing that I said one time at one junket to Kurt Russell about guns. <laughs> and I, did, I didn't try to get in an argument at all. I just said I read something in the New York Times in which they basically said that the whole psychology of, of, of owning guns was basically a, they're totems, they're symbols for uh, kind of a, you know, powerful, kind of straight guy attitude about things. And, and that's what's important. It's the symbol, the totem of guns, not the actual, who's going to go out there and shoot somebody? It's ridiculous. But the totem idea is something that works. And he got very angry that I brought up the word totem. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't arguing for that notion, I said I merely read it in the New York Times. As a result of my having said that, it be, it blew up, and before you knew it, he was being asked about that response on the, on the View, and there were you know this is all, this is all takes. you just have to say the w wrong words in the wrong sequence. Before you know it, you're the argumentative person whom publicists are afraid of inviting uh, to something. That's a feeding frenzy, like um you know it's it's just like this machine that we've built. It needs constant fuel yeah. so people are always looking for a story and imagine this moment in time where everybody's worried about everything that they say and everything everybody else says and then having this huge content machine like what are they going to do how are they going to feel it fuel it if everybody in our business is totally quiet and silent about everything yeah nobody yeah. will talk about anything that everybody knows it's the emperor's new clothes taken to the extreme because everybody's everybody we know personally who works for a newspaper, a magazine, even if we know that they think what we think, we know they can't say it because we know that they don't want to yeah. get fired, especially if they have families, you know? Mm -hmm. The only person that doesn't seem to play in that realm, but even 
is Jeff Snyder, who I can talk to occasionally. He's but he's very very careful, and he can't risk anything either. I don't blame him because the. You know, if you step out of the line, the man comes and takes you away. Yeah. <laughs> He's more honest than most, though. I mean, he, he is. And I like Jordan. Jordan is, is also sort of on the outside. But I'm talking about people who have jobs at, like, Variety and Hollywood Reporter. And, you know, they can't be honest because yeah. they'll lose, they will lose their job. Look at that poor Sean O'Connell. Now, think about the left that you've known your whole life, Right. And imagine yeah. that Sean O'Connell story where he recount it for the benefit of those who don't have an instant recall. I would like you to hear to just recount it in 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 basically and just tell the story. Of that I guy. just find it so astonishing that it happened and that nobody talks about it. And it is such an, an interesting story. So he, you know, I guess he's I don't know what thirty something male critic, white male critic, and he right. he reviewed because it's his job the movie Turning Red. And he said he didn't like Which it. Which is make a, about a, a young girl who had uh, anger issues about something. That her period, a, a her re- period, right? She was 13. Oh, it's, yeah. it's somehow related to getting her period, which, you know, it's like, why are you right. making this movie? But the thing that people got mad about was the Asian part of it, right? It wasn't even, it was both of those things together because the religious figures online are anybody of color. But then mm-hmm. if you add another dimension to that, sex or anything else, the period or then you're really committing a mortal sin because here he is. So, so as I recall, he got a lot of pushback for saying the wrong thing about being red. And he did, I believe. They, they called him a racist. They said, you know, it turned into a really, you just Google his name. It turned into a huge story. He almost lost his job. They pulled the review. He offered the withering apology. And right. Cinema Blend, you know, basically said, you know, we'll keep him on, but we're very, very sorry. We'll never do that again. We're very, very sorry. You know, it's like, yeah, don't make movies if you don't want people to respond to them, you know? Mm. And you can't just have, you can't just say, like, we're all going to pretend that this is the greatest movie that was ever made and that everybody should want to go see it because yeah. if they don't, they're racists and they're misogynist. Like, you can't function <laughs> that's just not normal he has a yeah. right to his opinion and people can take it or leave it you know go see the movie yourself mm-hmm. it's just so annoying yeah. to me that nobody said anything nobody stood up for him um poor guy it was um but he's not lost his job but he's certainly been disciplined to the extent that he'll never probably come out with yeah, a strong but opinion. That's what Chairman Mao and what uh Stalin did. The the public yeah. beatdowns of dissenters uh, and thought criminals why yeah. Orwell wrote nineteen eighty four because that's what that's about. You know, once you do a a thing like that, no white male critic is ever gonna review a movie like that again. Mm-hmm. They'll only give that's it right. glowing praise and that's why we're in the mess we're in. That's why we're in the mess we're in where they're they're pretending that these movies are better than they are because they don't mm-hmm. want to be attacked viciously because they they don't want to go back to the white male patriarchy, you know. Um we've all said too much already on this podcast. Like this is like a podcast that should be <laughs> burn after reading, like literally just set it on fire after you hear this. Never mention it again. 
because you and I are committing a lot of thought crimes in this podcast. Best Actress is different. It's not just a good performance gets nominated. Like, that's not how it works. It It's usually about the character that the person's playing, how people feel about the movie overall, the buzz of the movie, uh-huh. the publicists involved, you know. Um, Andrea Riseborough might be able to scrabble a nomination if they can get enough people to vote for her. Who knows? You know, um, certainly an interesting strategy. I don't think there's any chance because um, uh, as much as you you have to at least stand back and say, well, I certainly respect the effort. I certainly respect that she went right into it without trying to calculate uh, or angle the performance in such a way that you're kind of oddly charmed on some level. You know, there's 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 this moments that the screenwriters mm-hmm. always get you by and win you over, even if you've got this terrible alcohol problem. Yes. Uh, but they don't go for that. So that's that's a mark of integrity. They don't try to be uh, she she doesn't try and, and hasn't been written so that she's got a kind of a darkly charming quality. She's ugly. She's really ugly. Well, the problem is, is that I think there were I heard that um, John Hawks, his name is John Hawks, right? Is that his first name? John Hawks, that he was yeah. originally cast in the Mark Marin role. And I think that if if that had been the casting, then she would have come out the better looking of the two. I feel like with Mark Marin there, like, you know, he's too famous for that. Like, he's too well known for dating beautiful women. And it just, it doesn't ring true, their their romance at all. Not for one second. I think John Hawks would look a little bit more like the type of person that they're going for here. You know, he has to be like a gutter rat who, for him, she would be a step up. He can't uh-huh. be like a guy like Mark Marin Because if you're not going to deal with the fact that he's enabling and he he's being taken advantage of. If you're not going to deal with any of that, then, you know, you don't really have a character and they don't really deal with it. They just want to make him as a nice guy hero who comes in and helps her. And but Well, this moment, for those who haven't seen to Leslie, in which she's looking for some work at this ramshackle motel with Mark Marin is the co-owner of. And there's absolutely no reason on the face of the planet <laughs> I know. that any sensible person would say sure i'd like you to work for me you seem like a steady person who's not going to hurt my business she everything she is says i'm going to fuck up i'm going to you know have bottles hidden away i'm going to you know i'm going to make things worse for you i guarantee it well I, I, exactly- but i think as i recall he there he has some history with her right doesn't he know her from the his past um that's kind of the oh, message you, you're I didn't get that. I, I thought he was just aware of her because everybody kind of knows that she's got this issue. And, right. You know, her big was winning all that money in a lottery and then she blew it and uh, now she's at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't buy these two as a couple. Like, I think with if it was John Hawks and he looked a little more pathetic and undesirable uh-huh. to women. But I think Mark Maron's still got some juice in him and he's still a good looking guy. And uh, she yeah. doesn't at all. Like, the character she's playing is played out. Like, you couldn't pay a guy to have sex with her. That's what they, they depict her as in this movie, deliberately. Mm-hmm. They don't even try to make her look good. So no, they don't. That's the kind of woman that... Gives them that, you know. It's, it's real. It's believable. It's believable it's a... in as much as those people exist. 
But it's not believable in as much as the character that they portray her as in this movie. The other thing is, this is a little detail, and maybe you'll disagree with me, but doesn't drinking a lot make you fat and taking drugs make you thin? Like, if you're drunk, don't you have, like, chubby drink face? Yeah. And then there's that kind of wounded, beaten up look that your face gets. It's kind of puffy and bloated and sure. Especially when you're in your 40s and 50s. Yeah. Your system will will deal with it when you're younger, but not when you're a little bit older. And she's clearly like 40-ish going on 50, something like that. Yeah, and she's putting in all that sugar in her body and she's still bone thin. I thought she, to me, she looked more like a drug addict than an alcoholic. Um, Yeah, right. So I thought that was weird. But... uh, but overall, mm-hmm. I, I do think it's it's worth talking about the strategy she's using uh, with her performance and her friends in Hollywood to try to get a nomination right at the time where people are voting. I'm curious to see if it actually, if she lands a nomination um, as a result of that. They're about, what, I would, 12? That'd be great if she it. I mean, I certainly applaud what she's trying to do, and I think that it's nice to be, that people want to help their friends, and I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it, you know? No, and I, and I certainly have nothing to say against the performance. I just didn't happen to enjoy sitting through it, frankly. Uh, yeah, you know, it was okay. I knew I knew where it was going. Yeah, but exactly. An hour, first hour is an agony for me. When when the sun comes in at the end, I thought at you the know, ice cream parlor. Yeah, and I her making yeah. an ice cream parlor all of a sudden is also a weird, sudden weird plot twist. It's not that easy to just open a restaurant. Um, but, yeah. you know, I liked that, mm-hmm. you know, they gave her something to do. They had to do something with the plot. They had to take it somewhere. Um, right. Whoever this kid is, he's working out some hardcore issues, I think, probably with his mother or maybe his girlfriend. I don't know. But um, but and I, you know, I like the fact that the son comes back and I like the fact that she's redeemed in the end. But I think what the movie's telling us is everybody is bad except her. We're supposed to think that she's this terrible alcoholic who burns bridges and is mean to her son, but the way it works out is is that people in the town are the bad ones, you know, um, because they're not going to redeem her. They're not going to give her a second chance, you know. Yeah, but but she is bad. She's awful to be with during the first hour, at least. Yeah, I know, Why but I don't not- because I don't think the movie wants the movie isn't depicting her as bad. The, the movie's depicting her as, as a usual type of person who's redeemed at the end. But yeah. I, I just felt like it was lacking depth of character yeah. on her part, you know? Mm-hmm. There's there's so much okay. more interesting stuff going on with people who are drunks. Like, trust me, yeah. I know from personal experience, they're not just mm-hmm. that uh superficial they're not just people passed out drunk at, at the bar there's more to them than that there's a story there usually they're if they have any smarts about them they're really good at trying to hide their problems exactly that's what, if they're any good at it i mean that's what you know you, you do what you can to minimize the fact that you're bombed and, or or you know cover it up anyway you yeah can. I mean, I thought that they did a good job showing that she thought she was more attractive than she is. That was good. But the other Uh thing to do would be to, you know, because honestly, to tell you the truth, alcoholics and drunks are always very charming people. And that's part of the problem is that when they're not drinking, they're boring and they know it. Like my mom had this boyfriend that she was in love with who was a kind of an alcoholic uh, hip. uh, uh, God, what's the name of that kind of music? Rockabilly player of a band Uh 
And she was so in love with him, like she left her kids, you know, she left us home for months on end with our weird abusive stepdad so that she could be with this guy. And then he really? so yeah, and then he, she, he, he got with her. She, with yeah. She wanted to go on the road with him or what? Why did she what did she do? She wanted to have sex with him. <laughs> no, I'm saying why did she leave the house? Because to be he was with him on the road? Or what? Uh, no, because the bar that he worked at wasn't wasn't where we lit wasn't in the town where we lived, and they basically lived at the hotel where she worked as a wait a cocktail waitress, and he worked as a, a he was the musician there, and um yeah that she was gone for you know like a couple of years when we were kids she'd come back every now and then but then when the guy got with her finally they didn't have to have an affair anymore and he moved in mm-hmm. with her and he got sober she completely lost interest in him. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> and she couldn't even have sex with him and, and i understand that because as you and i both know we've had this conversation before they're called kamikaze women in woody allen's uh vocab kamikaze yeah. women they're these people that will just go right to the edge and they're usually addicts of some kind and that sort of wildness and abandon makes them attractive in a lot of ways and I yeah. think that is what's, they're not just wounded birds. They're, there's more to it. She's drinking for a reason, not just to heal herself. She's drinking because she makes her, her feel more confident, um, funny, mm-hmm. outgoing, ambitious, sexual. All that stuff is usually why people drink. Yeah. Um, to avoid boredom, to, uh, to sort of cruise in this, in this alcoholic state that's kind of more enticing on some level. Or more. I know that, you know, it's funny. Yeah, this introduces a thought that I was, I was thinking. Even though I, I know I'm, I'm very comfortable and have been since the day I declared sobriety. But every now and then, I think about how much fun it was to to drink, not get bombed and get wasted, but to have have fun, to have fun with 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 uh, Jack Daniels and ginger ale or whatever. Mm. I remember having a lot of fun. I really have a good memory of that. Not that I'm going to go back there, and I I know the pitfalls. But I, I, I recall, I really do. Yeah. Remember it, how what a wonderful thing it was to go to pubs in England and London. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, uh, I love that first glass of wine at a party. Sure. Um, you get that nice buzzy feeling, and you suddenly feel like you have more confidence, and you're relaxed, and you're having a good time. But it lasts very yeah. short amount of time, and it's kind of like cocaine in that way, because you're always then chasing that feeling again because it goes away. With me, I feel like, I mean, I kind of like to drink. I have, a, I have a lot of alcohol here and I just don't drink because I don't like how it makes me feel ultimately. It's just you're dumping a lot of sugar into your body. And um, I always feel a little bit sick and hungover afterwards if I do drink, even a glass of wine. But well, that's, I, the wine can be just as problematic. Do you, yeah. uh, generally speaking, when I was a wine drinker, I would be uh, less, t- two glasses anyway. And if I went to a party... It would be like maybe three or four sometimes. I mean, there was the talk about the sugar in your blood. Yeah, you, you were you were a heavy drinker when I first met you. That's for sure. Um, really? Yeah. You regarded me as a heavy drinker. Okay. I did. Well, you were. That was before you quit drinking, you know. You would get but shit-faced. Gonna... You would get shit-faced. You would get slurring drunk when I knew you. Um, I don't slurry. I remember feeling intemperate during the daylight hours and i remember feeling badly about the but i don't remember the slurring drunk thing that's interesting well, okay was, i'm not 
That's a shooting, but that's, that's interesting. It wasn't okay. anything that I noticed. Like, it wasn't like I was like, oh, this is an alcoholic. I, it was just that when, when we went to parties or, or whatever, you would drink more than you should. And you would okay. end up in the slurry drunk phase as opposed to someone like my ex-boyfriend where he, by noon mm-hmm. we had to find a place that served alcohol because he had to have alcohol mm-hmm. at noon. And there was no, like you couldn't go a minute past noon. <laughs> um, and he had to, had to be drunk. It's great yeah. in bed though. Say that. <laughs> but uh, it's not worth it. Here's another odd thing. I remember hearing from my father about his AA meetings. And every now and then, he would hear from a person who's um, basically, uh, they felt so good about their lives, like things were going well, they're at, they're, the job was great, they're at, they had some money, nice money in the bank. They felt like they're really coasting and having a good time. They had such a good time that they just started to, to drink to kind of make it even better. Mm-hmm. Not because there's any problem, because, hey, this is fun, let's have, let's have some more booze. And sooner or later, you get into trouble. But I, but I love that thing. Uh, you know, things are going so great. He, he started drinking. Yeah, I just feel really lucky that I don't have an addict's brain. I mean, I guess you could say I was addicted to the internet. That's probably the one thing that I can't really quit at the moment. But mm-hmm. I'm just so yeah. glad that I'm like not addicted to drugs or alcohol because I think it'd be really hard to go through life if you had to be totally sober. Let's just skip to the best actress race. So we know for sure that the the two nominees that are getting in for sure, Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett. That's two, and and Michelle Williams missed out on a SAG nomination, but she would have been the third. Right, she's finished, I think. Right. For the win, you mean? For well, I don't even know about a nomination, but certainly not a win. That's a, that's out. I mean, I don't. I think I know a lot of people who without venom or or viciousness in their hearts, they just don't think she was very good in the Fablements. They think she was too broad, mm. and it was a... You're constantly aware that she was p- performing per the suggestions and dictates of Steven Spielberg. And, you know, she did a job by what he wanted her to do, which is okay, but it didn't work for me. It was it was acted. It was, in, in, you know, in quotes. And I just didn't think it was very successful. There were some scenes that I thought were good, like the scene in the camping where she's dancing in front of the light. Um, I really liked that scene. Um, I I wish he had cut the scene with the monkey. Like, I know that 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 was a memory of his, that his mom was, you know, a little bit nutty. So she bought a monkey or whatever. But that was the only Mm -hmm. scene where I thought, you know, he doesn't need that in there because Mm -hmm. she's already coming off as really eccentric. He doesn't really need to gild the lily and show how much even more eccentric she was, you know. Um, I, I just thought that that was a little bit over the top uh, in terms of her character. If you don't mind saying, the, the central issue with the Fablemans is it's uh, Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg talking about his growing up period and they're deciding what good elements should be used right. in this story. And I don't think that... Um, I think that to Spielberg, obviously, they're interesting. They're they're, they're keynotes. They're, they're things that he remembers as being quite formative. But I don't think, um, to most of us, I don't think it was hugely uh, interesting. It really wasn't. Uh, the The interesting stuff was a little bit about the affair with Seth with Seth Rogen. That didn't, but he didn't even want to let us know if it was actually an affair or if they just liked each other. Um, there was the moment when. Seth Rogen tries to 
be a good dad to him in a sense by by buying him a nice camera and i didn't really buy that that he would reject it i mean he's an ambitious filmmaker and he's about to be given a really nice camera an aeroflex right and he he doesn't like it because he resents seth rogan for for stealing his mother away from his dad i i don't know i just i didn't care about any of this stuff i i didn't care about the high school stuff uh that much really bullies all right we had a tough time it wasn't interesting that Christian girl wasn't interesting who was into him because he was, uh, you know, he's part of the, the tribe of Jesus Christ and all that. I just, um, you know, nothing really took off until he went down to see John Ford. That was it. For me. I liked the John Ford. I actually really liked the high school part. I'm, I seem to be in the minority on that. But I really loved the thing that Joyce Carol Oates was complaining about. I really loved the scene where... <laughs> he takes the bully and turns him into a hero and the dynamic between director and movie star and the disconnect between being the guy behind the camera and celebrating these heroes in front of the camera like that resonated with me just knowing Spielberg's work. Um, I loved the bully character. I thought he was really interesting and weird. And I liked how he looked when he saw that he was made into a nice character on the film I loved all that. Like to me, that, and I like the stuff with the girl and the and the weird Christian girl. Like I loved all the stuff with him, and I don't know why. I just dug that sequence. Um, the stuff with the camera. I think that he's in some difficult territory there, talking about the affair, and I I'm not sure that he fully dealt with it before he made the movie. I'm not even sure he fully knows, or he would dare to say that his mom had had an, a sexual affair with this person. It's the kind of thing like back then you just don't even imagine your parents having sex, you know, it's so gross and hard to imagine. I I still don't want to think about my parents. having. Exactly. Right. Like, oh, no, I don't want to go there. Yikes. But um, but he I think he had to make a choice because you can't have a kid that angry if they're just friends. You know, Um, he was angry in a way that made it. Uh, you know, unequivocally true that she was having an affair with this guy. Um, Uh And then when she says we haven't done anything yet, well, it doesn't quite justify the anger that he felt and the abandonment that he felt and how hurt he was for his dad. All of that Mm -hmm. stuff was authentic and true. The only part that didn't ring true to me was the him pulling back on that. But because he's talking about a real person, and he, you know, he's making a movie that his sisters are going to watch and his whole family's going to watch. He had to tread very lightly on that particular issue, unless it was something that the whole family came together and accepted. The mom and dad are both dead, but the sisters are still alive. Um, and I'm just not sure that they all have discussed exactly what happened with the mom and this guy, you know. Can we can we be honest about something? When have you ever felt a really intriguing erotic current in any Steven Spielberg film ever? Mm. I can't think of it. The only thing I can think of is the kind of metaphorical fucking scene at the end of Munich, as I recall. Right, there is but one other... in Munich. Huh? There is one in Munich. There's a really bizarre yeah. sex scene in Munich. <laughs> Yeah, it's not really tingly or, you know, it's not intriguing. It's not, uh, you know. Well, I think that to me, the most erotic I've ever seen for him is the scene with Marianne and Indy 
And that's because fucking uh, Harrison Ford drips with testosterone and charisma. So you can't put him in a scene and have it not be. But, you know, when she's dressing, um, getting undressed and he's in the room with her, uh, that scene, I think, is very erotic. And it's very erotic between the two of them. They have incredible chemistry. Uh, It's certainly not there in Always with uh, Holly Hunter and um, it's not not there. For that, but it's it's definitely there in in that first Indiana Jones movie. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is it is often absent his films. He doesn't really. Uh, I mean, same thing with Steven Soderbergh. He's never has really. Uh, the only thing that I felt a little bit of a tingle uh, effect going on was uh, Sex Lies and Videotape. Way back, and in you can't 89. feel a little tingle with that movie. That movie is all mm. sex. Yeah, it's all sex. It's all about sex, but it is it's yeah. sex and also in a weird way because remember that guy, the character James Spader, can't get ar- aroused in front of a woman. So remember that <laughs> he has to ha- go through I... make those videotapes and stuff, and he he couldn't <laughs> he said he couldn't get aroused in the presence of another person. Right? Remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sex is with the Peter Gallagher character and the sister. Uh, Mm-hmm. that's where they have the sort of fiery sex scenes. But all those tapes, those are all weirdly about sex. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess that they, maybe they come from the old school where sex was kind of purged from movies. Um, I get the feeling with Spielberg there, you know, people always say he's retained that childlike innocence in his films. And it seems like a cliched mm-hmm. thing to say, but it is kind of true about his movies. He does sort of have that innocent gaze that never really went away yeah okay so just to return briefly to best actress uh, you were saying michelle yo and Kate blanchett and it's it's one or the other well and, we and then understand. we've got we've got the two we've got the let's look at the quickly look at the sag awards <clears throat> we have viola davis and danielle deadweiler right um Cancel each other out because they're 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 you know that people will say well I want to vote for a woman of color so which one do I vote for so they're probably going to cancel out. Well, I know people always get mad at me when I say that because they huh? say it's not. People always get mad about that when you say it, but but yeah. it is in a way kind of true when you're talking about these particular voters, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, because they are wanting to break the stat the Halle Berry stat which is no black actress only one black actress in 94 years of Oscar history has ever won but they just yeah. they they don't have their ducks in the row as to which one that'll be now Anna Diarmas is the fifth for the SAG so we have to figure and that gives the wokesters as you call them uh, a satisfying number of intersectionality because you've got an asian woman you've got a uh, two black women and you've got a latina and yeah. a white woman. and also I that if you're fair about it and i know a lot of people dislike blonde because they find it as i do a very cruel film that re uh that that puts her through the horrors of what she went through in actual actuality and makes her do it again even worse it seems to me and, uh, but I don't blame Anna de Armas for that. She she delivered as well as she could in a in a very intense way what Andrew Dominic wanted from her, and I and I respect what she what she did. It's it's I didn't like the film, but I respect what she did. 
Well, the other thing about her, she's just so stunningly beautiful that I think people will might vote for her anyway just because of that. Um, okay. But so I'm looking at my gold derby predictions and there's Michelle Yeoh, yeah. Kate Blanchett, Danielle Deadweiler, Michelle Williams, and Viola Davis. Those are the five I have uh, here. But I don't know about okay. Anna Diarmas. Does she get in? Does, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go does ahead. Olivia Coleman somehow make it in? Does Andrea Riseborough manage to get that fifth slot? Yeah. I thought that the uh, woman king had been discounted more or less because the country that that she was, uh, uh, you know, living in was part of was a slave trading company, and they they didn't acknowledge that really, uh, and uh, it was kind of like a, an ugly historical footnote. And I thought that people were saying, well, that that doesn't kind of sync up with what they're doing. This is about about strong women and a kind of a assertive, powerful you know, um, warrior women and all that. But I, I yeah. didn't, uh, I didn't feel right about it for some reason. I, I thought, thought that was being mm, discounted. I thought that you too, know. until I saw the movie and the movie is much more fantasy or it, it, it plays like black Panther kind of thing. Like it, it plays like a fantasy. It's not very realistic and it's more focused on the story of the mother and the daughter than it is the slavery yeah. part. So I feel like people are, mm. are not willing to throw the whole project away just because of that one thing it's you know it's a movie but dead edweiler is a is a very moving she's a brilliant actress i think and i and i really if we're going to be i guess you know nominally racist i say well it's one one or the other women of color i I would certainly definitely deadweiler has the edge between the two of them because she's it's a brilliant performance i think it's a, it's not a great film but she's very very good i mean i, really I think so her. too but i i think that in viola davis's case yet again she's really playing more of a supporting player than she is the lead in this and that's the she, okay. you know it seems like she's always in there like in fences and in the mm-hmm. help you know she's always got these sup- strong supporting roles but they're not quite the center the lead of the movie like this is a woman king is very much an ensemble work but I think her stature uh, in the industry and her popularity in the Academy will get her in. So we're really just okay. looking at the Michelle Williams slot, whether or not Anna Diarmas will replace Michelle Williams. That's really what we're talking about here. Right. Or Andrea Riseborough. I would love that if that happened. I really would. I would think this is great. It's a people's campaign, a friend's campaign, and they're all getting together and helping around. And then they all know that when they need their friend's help, they'll come to them also. So it's a karma thing. I really love that. I don't think it's going to happen, but I love the idea. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wish the movie was better. I would feel better about it. Um, yeah. I just think that, you know, what about all the other people who gave great performances that don't have friend groups that can push them through? You know, there were a lot of good performances this year. They just didn't make it into the race, you know? Um, yeah, well, life is hard, you know? Yeah. And look at Olivia He's Coleman. Quick. Olivia Coleman gave a career best performance and she's not getting in. You know, because you agree. With me. You feel that she's wonderful in that. So do I. And I was so moved by her. And I hate the way they beat up that movie and kicked yeah. it around. It really is an awful thing. It's one of the ugliest things I've seen since the assassination of. Um, what was the one that uh, they got beat up so badly uh, because of uh, Zero Dark Thirty? That that horrible uh, woke, uh, 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 just, you know, he just murdered that movie because of uh, allegedly. Well, 
the um, the the industry and the academy have mandated inclusivity, right? So it's put these directors in these awkward positions, like we talked about last time with George Clooney and the his movie and and uh, the movies that did that this year, like Empire of Light or Armageddon yeah. Time. I know Armageddon Time is slightly different. He didn't just cast a black kid to to play the. Um, right. But even in the Andrea Riseborough movie, there's just this arbitrary black character there. Like, he even mm-hmm. have, he's just there to be the black guy. And it's like, yeah. they, they don't even, you know, that's why that host of the Golden Globes was funny, because he was right. He's like, I'm here because I'm black. Yes, that's right. They're protecting themselves, you know. So those movies aren't resonating either. But what's what are they to do? What are these filmmakers to do when they're mandated to have people of color in their movies? And yet they can't find the right stories to tell about them. You know, James Gray was more or less, you, you, we've talked about this privately a bit. James Gray was more or less telling the story of his own friendship with a black kid who didn't uh, have a white father who knew the cops and all that who to get him out of trouble. And it was, I thought it was a fairly sad, you know, almost profound uh, ending because this, this kid uh, that uh, James Gray's younger version he has to um, basically accept the fact that life is unfair and his father has cut him a break and he's gotten him out of trouble. But the, the black kid, you know, the poor black kid who doesn't have, he only has his grandma who's, who's home and in bed and she doesn't have the connections with the cops. It's really sad. I thought it was very. Yeah. But I think that the story would have been much better if he had been honest. Like let's say the movie takes place exactly as it is. And then at the very end you see the older James Gray thinking, Whatever happened to that kid? Because I don't yeah. really know what happened to him because I never looked. All I found out was he died in some drug deal in Jamaica or something like that. But he has telling no- the truth. Exactly what James Gray said to me and others that he found out later that that poor kid. And yeah, uh, but he doesn't know-, know what happened that day. The truth is, is that they both walked into the store. The white kid stole something. They both got called in. The white kid got rescued. He left his friend there. But he doesn't know yep. what happened to the friend. Nobody does. And obviously, James Gray felt guilty. But here he is passing judgment on, on Trump's, Trump supporters in the movie and letting himself right. off the hook. And it's like, yeah. but dude, you're just totally changing this story to absolve yourself of the guilt you obviously feel. I don't think there's any question that the Armageddon Time is a more interesting, more level, straight shooting movie in many respects. Not to me. Not if they're not telling uh, the truth. Not if he's not telling the truth. I like Fablemans because I'm a Spielberg fan and I like to see about his life. And I know he's telling me the truth. No, I mean, no, in so much not, as he's not confessing the whole thing about the affair, but everything else is true about it, you know? Not the girlfriend. The Christian girlfriend is made up. Oh, really? I think. Well, you don't know. I'm, Do you know? Sure. I don't think he made it no. up. I read it was invented to, I don't know, punch up the story or something. Put a hot girl in the movie. <laughs> Put a hot Christian girl who is intrigued with the <laughs> Jewish boy because he's uh, from the same tribe as Jesus. Yes. Yeah. That's I mean, I if it was as pivotal of a plot point as it is in Armageddon time, that might make a difference. But it's obviously coming mm-hmm. from somewhere, you know. But yeah, I, I, in general, I, I would prefer that they don't embellish, you know, if they're telling mm-hmm. the stories of their lives. It's so much more interesting if it's the true story. Um, facing the truth is important when it comes to your own life. And it's hard, but it's still important, you know. Mm. 
All right, let's do best actor. Best actor is really okay. up in the air, and we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble here if we have this conversation, honestly. Because, look, how how mad are people going to get if we talk about best actor vis-a-vis the terrible, terrible, tragic death of Lisa Marie Presley? Well, like, let's just cut to the elephant of the room, shall we? I, I, I know, There's and I hate to do that because you know all of your commenters and everybody on Twitter is going to throw a massive fit and talk about us and throw us into the public square for humiliation if we talk about the elephant in the room. So what well, do we me, do? Not talk about it? You might, recall, you might recall that I had a quote that I popped in after the horrible Atlanta yes, massage. Yeah. And that I was pilloried and, and, and destroyed, in a sense, uh, advertising-wise, because I said, I mean, I quoted a, a friend who said that you know, this is going to uh, definitely lock things in for uh, Chloe Zhao because, you know, people will feel this is awful. We've got to somehow strike a match and light the room and, and renounce this horrible, ugly racial hate. But then it turned out that the Atlanta massage parlor murders were not racially exactly. motivated. They were weirdly sexually motivated on some level. Yeah, and then... Down the they, down the memory hole it goes, right? Like after it's not fulfilling an agenda, it's not a story anymore. It doesn't even matter. Um, yeah. But this is what people, when something happens like this, the, the sad, tragic, out of the blue death of, of Lisa Marie Presley could, you know, kind of affect people. They want to kind of make things better on some level for the Elvis team or something. I don't know what to, how, but people think like that. They, they, of course they the do. It, well, because voting is emotional, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I, you know, if you're asking me and you want me to say, honestly, yes, I think that, I think there was maybe a, you know, a decent chance, at least a 50, 50 chance he would win before um, him and Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser. That's a, that's a three. Brendan Fraser not going to the golden globes was, I think a detriment to him. But he didn't win anyway. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he might win tonight at the Critics' Choice. They're having the Critics' Choice tonight. He might win. By the time people listen to this, it might already be over. Who knows? But um, I don't know who's going to win that. The voting was in before the death of Lisa Marie. So there's a chance that Brendan Fraser could still pull it out. Uh, Elvis doesn't seem to be too popular with the Critics' Choice people. So, yeah. But when it comes to the Oscars, they're not going to give... I'm sorry. This is horrible. And please, God, strike me down where I sit, but Mm. they're not going to pass up the chance to have a standing ovation when Austin Butler wins for that award. They're just not. It's her death is a big, big, big thing because it's, it's also reminding us of Elvis and the movie itself is so tragic, right? Because it's about his demise and he's sitting in that car. And the only thing he had to live for was little Lisa Marie and she's in the movie And now she's dead, yeah. too. So, I mean, who who wouldn't vote for him under those circumstances, right? Who's not going to vote for him? And if I were a voter at the Christmas Choice, I would probably think, well, maybe that would be kind of a nice moment. And I, 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 in some way, I would be striking the match to light the room Same. a little bit by, you know. I so would, too. I There's no way I would. I mean, I thought he was great anyway. I've been championing him in the movie all year, like way before anybody else was um, on film Twitter. That's for sure. But... Um, I think Colin Farrell is brilliant. And I also think Brendan Fraser is great. Like, I like all of them. Um, but I think that in this case, I just, I can't, like, the, it's such a big tragedy. Uh, I just don't see how they would ever rob uh, 
him, Lisa, the Presley family, um, everybody watching the show of that moment for him to stand on stage. That's going to be incredible. It'll be the most powerful moment of the night because the room will go silent and people will just, you know, yeah. it'll take their yeah. breath away to just see him standing there and he's going to give a great speech and everybody's going to be crying. Um, uh, just, let's just clarify for those listening. <clears throat> The Critics' Choice Award ceremony is happening tonight, correct? Yeah. Yes. Well, then, uh, when did they vote? Uh, a while ago, before she died, because I voted well, in then it. What are we talking about if they, if, it happened, if they voted before her? Yeah, passing? exactly. So he might win the... Brendan Fraser or, or uh, uh, Colin Farrell might win that award because they didn't have... But I'm talking about the SAGs and I'm talking about the Oscars. I'm not talking yeah, about this award tonight. I have no idea how it's going to go. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it being Austin Butler, though. Um, okay. All right. So I yeah. have for my predictions right now, I have <laughs> I have Tom Cruise in the fifth spot. I don't think he's actually going to get in. But who do you think would be? So we have Bill Nye, Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser and Austin Butler. And then we have mm-hmm. a fifth slot. And, and at Hit Gold Derby, those names are being bandied around. Or Paul Mescal for After Sun. Uh, Hugh Jackman for The Sun. Uh, Jer- Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. Adam Sandler well, for there, Hustle. There's your opportunity for a little tokenism. So, sure. And he's also pretty good in that film. I finally saw it. The Inspection, I mean. I think he's pretty good. He was uh, honored by Roger at, at the upcoming Santa Barbara Film Festival. Yeah, so he could get oh. in, but they've they just have yeah. a lot of extra parts here, a lot of extra names floating around. I feel like that fifth slot is going to be up in the air, and I don't think Tom Cruise is going to get in, but just on the off chance that he might, I want to try to predict it. Um, I mean, he's great. He would be absolutely levitated and, and extremely happy if uh, Top Gun, let's say, it, it probably won't happen, but if it were to win Best Picture, I think that absolute best possible thing that could come out of the oscar ceremony it's the only thing that would save that show in in its current contact because everybody hates the academy and hates what's happened in hollywood so but even as someone who believes that that would be a wonderful thing there's no way it's going to happen for 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 tom cruise it's just you know nobody's ever thought he he doesn't empty he doesn't open his soul up he's you know it's just it's a confident film no i know i don't think he's going to I just think if the Academy wants to have a good show and an exciting show, they'll put Tom Cruise in it. You know, who wouldn't most of America would tune in just to see Tom Cruise, honestly, because he's such a big star. If he had gone to the Globes, it would have lit up the room and he should have gone. You know, he's a huge, huge star. He should have gone just to show what a big star he is. But then that guy would have made that Scientology joke and it would have been awkward. So, um, (laughs) Also, I think that, you know, I made this point with you also privately, but if you have a problem with the Golden Globes and their seemingly discriminatory policies as far as having uh, no, no, no uh, members of color until they were pressured into doing that, uh, you know, if you, you say you're, uh, you're against it and you stand against it and you return your Golden Globe awards and all that, I don't see where it's written that you have to stay that way. Once you've made the statement, how many mm-hmm. times have we been in arguments with friends or lovers and we've said, listen, I, I really don't uh, 
you know, I got a big, huge problem with the way you acted. But, you know, we don't keep saying that over and over again. You say what you feel. You you let your uh, feelings be known. You you condemn, you, you you know, but then you let it go. You know, you move on. You know, nobody stays in the same place. If, if Tom Cruise had just said, OK, uh, I'm not going to take the uh, Golden Girls back. But, you know, I said what I said. Now let's move on and let's, let's embrace the here and now. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know how I feel about all of it. I just think it was a mass hysteria in Salem Village. <laughs> like, I can't even get to the part where most people do, which is it was a much needed reckoning. Bullshit. You know, this is yeah. a I'm shocked, shocked to find gambling going on moment. Uh-huh. You know, people like Pete yeah. Hammond getting all blustery about it. It's like, mm-hmm. dude, yeah. what are you talking about? What what game do you think we're all a part of? You think that there's any sort of, you know, I mean, this is all pay to play, right? That's what the Oscar race mm-hmm. is. It's all run by lobbyists, essentially. And the fix mm-hmm. is in, man. I mean, it's yeah. like, I don't know why you'd punish. Yes, I, I understand that publicists feel like their clients can't get any attention from the Globes and that it, it rigs the game against them. I get that. And that's important. But did we have to go all the way to canceling the Golden Globes and calling them racists and destroying that essential part of the industry? Did they have to go that far? No, it doesn't. And I think that even the I think that they're, they're probably thinking twice about uh, maybe easing up on that. Uh, let's stop being so rhetorical and, and you know, trying to make our miserable little points about this and that i i would love to i would love if life could go back to 2016 miserable it's never going back okay so let's talk about best picture because best picture is is still like all of these categories i I mean we pretty much can figure that michelle yo is going to win best actress right is it going to be kate blanchett or michelle yo we're saying that she will win because of the zoomer millennial voters feel that not only a k-hack Kay Hai Kwan, but she has to win also. That's what the thinking is, you're saying? I mean, I don't think it's the Zoomers. I think it's, um, I think it's because the... Because people want to see an Asian actress win? Is that the idea you're saying? Um, I don't think that the, um, I don't think that the uh, Zoomers have any vote in the Academy. I think it's it's the social justice older types, you know, the... The liberals, the left, the Democrats, you know, they're the ones in there pushing all this stuff because they're the ones whose image they want to protect. But yeah, I mean, Zoomers, if they... uh, Kate Blanchett has won two Oscars, does she really need a third? That's also a thing, right? Yes. I guess. Yes. But I mean, Kate Blanchett is a threat. You know, she's Mm -hmm. definitely a threat. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying she's not going to win. She might, you know. Yeah. Uh. But the uh, the reason she might not win, and this also reflects on something we said, that I feel and you feel strangely, not so much antagonistic, but unsatisfied by Tar because it doesn't really uh, condemn or or indict uh, the, the wokeness as a as a as a cancer. It kind of says that she she invited it and brought it upon herself. So it's not entirely a woke problem. It's it's she. It's what egoistic creative people they they tend to be a little you know a little crazy a little a little self-destructive a little mad uh, obsessive whatever so you know mm. i mean the film that i wanted to see but i i still find it interesting having seen it four times yeah, how many we, times have you seen it? we were talking about it yesterday um about yeah. how we thought that it pulled punches where cancel culture was concerned or it yeah. just it just sort of wants to have it 
you know, it wants to be a Rorschach test. It wants to be, you see what you want to see. If you want to see her as orchestrating her own demise, you can. If you want to see yep. cancel culture as the enemy, you can. But I, I don't yep. think that he is hard enough on what this moment we're living through. He's, he didn't write the crucible in other words, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and Arthur Miller and, and see, the problem is, is that for people like Arthur Miller and Humphrey Bogart and the twilight zone, Rod Serling, they were on the uh -huh. left and all of this hysteria was happening on the right. And so it was easy for them to point it out. But now that it's happening on the left, they can't see it. And if they could, yeah, yeah. they're too afraid to write it, you mm -hmm. know? But this yep. is the moment to be writing another kind of crucible or all the wonderful Twilight Zones that they did to point out mass hysteria in a culture. I think that Todd Field yeah, gets pretty close, you know. It would, would make me feel so personally, you know, restored on some level. If, if somebody were to write something crucible-like about wokeness, it would be wonderful. Oh, my I God. Really and you can see why they won't, because it's the fix, you know. The mafia, the woke mafia, is controlling Hollywood. So it's like no distributor is going to make that movie. No yeah. investor is going to invest in that movie. No actor is going to star in that movie, right? It'll have to be made by, like, the Daily Wire, like Ben Shapiro's company, you know? And the reason, of course, that Todd Field made the protagonist a gay woman was because he knew he could get away with it that way, and it wouldn't be... A problem the way if he had made it a straight male, it just totally you know it would. It, I don't even know if they would have financed it, but mm. anyway. All right, let's great. talk about best picture. Yeah, well, I, I I said my piece about it. I don't I don't think there's anything to um, discuss other than the fact that this is a um, uh, you know the, the 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 Oscars have just about killed themselves. They pretty much committed harikari. Uh, in uh, 21 with the Steven Soderbergh thing. And I, and I don't think there's any uh, uh, turning uh, people around. Uh, people hate what it is. I mean, everybody that I read about on, on the comments threads and every, everything I hear from people is that people are this little, tiny, narrow, little, myopic, little culture. Uh, you know, it's, it's basically uh, the, the Academy has to try and save itself by making a populist by choosing a populist film and and the, and it'll, on some level it will restore the oscars as a semi interesting semi legitimate uh, barometer of, of of what is worth celebrating and i i would uh, i would love if that happened it's probably not and i know that the people that you know they say oh you can't you can't vote for top gun it wasn't good enough it's not a quality movie it didn't have a lot of current or under under you know that's what's going to happen, and I uh, and I regret it. But I, I, they really would be the best thing possible. Um, you know, as what what do I think is going to win? Because it's not going to win. I don't know. What do you think? I'm 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 lost. I don't. I, have any... I'm going back to putting the Fablemans back in, and the reason is I don't think that. Oh. <laughs> well, here's why: because I can't. I don't think okay. it's everything everywhere. All I just watched everything everywhere all at once again, and and it is like having someone bang you over the head with a cast iron pan for the first hour, and I just I've seen it you know a lot of times. So and I I will admit that when it gets to the end, and it gets to that scene where she's telling she's forgiving her daughter and loving her daughter, and I yeah. understand that if you're gay or if you're part of the movement, 
of activism mm-hmm. and you see a movie about a gay woman mm-hmm. asking her traditional Chinese mother to accept her identity, that that's very deeply profound for you. And for a lot of people who, you know, for whom that this is identity is everything. Mm-hmm. But how do you pick a movie that like the central theme of it is an everything bagel? Like, I'm not even kidding. It's an everything bagel all through the movie. <laughs> like I'm not yeah. even ju- there's actually literally an every. Anyway, so I have a hard time imagining uh, Oscar voters are going to pick it. Maybe they will. It's definitely the movie that they'll push to the top of their ballot out of guilt, if nothing else, because it's a well-meaning thing. They'll feel guilty. They'll push it. It'll get up there. I mean, I could see how it could win because the people who love it could pick it at number one. And the people who appreciate it might pick it at number two or number three. It's definitely a movie that could win on the preferential ballot for sure. But I don't think Banshees, I think Banshees is too dark to win i don't think it's i agree with you on that i agree with you on that. it's too dark yeah. and uh and the fablemans doesn't quite have the necessary emotional current uh you know i'm, I'm gonna i'm just gonna put everything everywhere just because as i'm talking to you i talked myself into how it will win it will win because it has a lot of number one votes and it will win because anybody who isn't predicting it at number one will feel guilty and want to predict it so it'll land at number two or number three. And that's how you build a Best Picture winner in the era of the ranked choice ballot. None of the other movies are going to have that going for them. None. One thing I do respect about the people who do love uh, Everything Everywhere all at once is that they really care about it. It's a lot of passion yes. for that. those people who are on the team. And I respect that at least they're, uh, you know, they at least they care about it. in in a way that seems to really matter to them. And, uh, you know, they're not just lazily defaulting to, uh, well, I'll choose this one because like the way people chose the artist, as I said the other day, that was a lazy thing. Nobody loved it, but they all kind of liked it. Uh, I disagree. I think people were madly in love with it. I really do. And they were, they could not vote for it. It was a very charming movie with the little dog and everything. Um, I think that it had a lot going for it. Certainly more, if that movie was out right now in this Oscar race, it would win easily. (laughs) This is not a strong year for Best Picture at all. Top Gun wouldn't even be getting in if it was a strong year. It's a very weak year for movies. Have you ever thought even for a moment about rewatching The Artist over the last decade? I'll tell you this. When I did rewatch it, I thought this movie's a lot better than I remember it being. You know, and mainly because it sells it at the end, just like everything everywhere all at once does. It sells it at the end. You know, that scene where she says, my daughter's a mess. I have this nice husband. I love her. Like, that's really moving that whole scene. You know, it it made me cry and made my daughter cry. So tell me what other movie in Best Picture is making people cry when they watch it? Can you think of one other than that one? Nothing. 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 Right. No. No emotional thing that I can think of other than, boy, I, you know, I just know I don't think it, there is a, a, an emotional. I know that that tends to win. That's what tends to make on it the happen. preferential ballot. Yes, because if they go back to five, which they should, it'll be easier to yeah. predict because then you just have to predict the majority vote, period. But the preferential ballot yeah. is different. They have to rank it. So you have to get the movie that's going to get one, two and three votes. Uh, well, let me just say something. About that, about the year of the artists, uh, I have never. I mean, I saw it twice that year. Um, I saw it in Cannes and then one more time, and I didn't really enjoy watching it the second time. Uh, 
But I'll tell you what I have watched uh, at least nine or ten or maybe even more times since 2011, and that's Moneyball. Everybody I know that, that, that cares about movies, they've seen that movie repeatedly. It has so many highs in it and so much spirit. And it's really about parenting and it's about, you know, trying something new and, and being, you know, pushed back on, upon by the people who like the way, uh, you know, the, the, the normal way things have always been. It's about the adventure of a new idea. It's mm. a lovely, lovely film. I guess and so. I, it didn't really hit with me. The only movie I watched from that era is Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I don't really watch any of the other. Also that year, Alexander Payne's The Descendants, which is a really much, yeah. much better, you know. And why do people not, you know, I don't know. But I, I, was, tend, to, I, was... I tend to go back to his movies a lot, Alexander Payne. Mm -hmm. I, I love, I love um, you know, Nebraska's kind of a hard sit, but I really mm -hmm. love About Schmidt, and I love, love Sideways as one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, yeah. Nebraska... With Bruce Stern is kind of a grumpy, like, I don't know. It's just not very fun to watch that movie. <laughs> um, I, I don't think what, you know, what made that movie for me was that, that music at the, at the end. And, uh, but Bruce Stern was a relatively uncharming, uh, kind of a annoying, you know, kind of pissed off older guy. He wasn't mm -hmm. that articulate. There was a lot of, I, I wasn't knocked out by it. I thought He's it was okay. He's mean to, you know? to, to, yeah. I know, it's it's a fine movie. It just was a little movie, you know, a, a little moment movie. Um, all right, so director, we think it's going to be Spielberg. He's going to win it. No chance. Anybody else has a shot there. Um, and then we move on to... We, I, other four will be, you think? I think The can Daniels. You, you the Daniels. Martin McDonough, Todd Field, and I think Edward Berger gets in for All Quiet. It's either him or James Cameron. Okay. I don't think that uh, Sarah Polly is going to get in. Um, Joseph Kaczynski, I don't think so. Uh, Boz Lerman, maybe. Doubt it. Mm. But I don't know. Netflix was really slow in publicizing All Quiet. Really, like they caught them off guard. They had no idea it was going to be so popular with voters but it's a little bit yeah. late it's a little bit late to launch a huge campaign they've been focusing on glass onion and bardo um why would they focus on trying to get a nomination for ryan johnson's film which nobody is really that taken with and you know it's kind of vaguely disappointing across the board for most people <laughs> that I, right well i think because it did well at the box office and they're riding high off of that it did better than expected people went to see it so okay. I think they're looking at that and they're going, wow, it's it's actually a successful film that we should push. It helps our brand. I don't think that All Quiet on the Western Front particularly helps their brand. But I will say that it was probably a little embarrassing that Argentina 1985 beat All Quiet on the Western Front at the Golden Globes. That was a little, a little shocking. Mm. Um, I, I think they're both great movies, but... When I went to see it with Dylan, he was... Um... He said, we've seen this, haven't we? We've seen about the horrors, the, the, the slaughterhouse of, of, of combat, the, the, you know, more graphic and everything. It's, so, it's, a, it's a pretty familiar idea, isn't it? And I said, yeah, it is. It is. It's very well done, though. You can't, can't fault it on a production level. And it's based upon the, the, the granddaddy of the, the wars, yeah. the agony of books, you know. 
Well, I mean, it's so, either you're somebody know. that World War One fascinates you or you're not. You know what I mean? Like for me, I I, uh, I loved it. I thought it was. But then again, I'm a fanatic for the World Wars, you know, so any war movie I'm going to love. But um, but I just love the style of it, the directing, the cinematography, the acting. It was incredibly yeah. powerful. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I get mm. that they just had 1917. So people aren't that all that excited about World War One movies anymore. But. Hey, can I ask you something uh, right out of the blue? What do you think about Paul Mescal suddenly happening? And he's, you know, you know he's going to be in a Ridley Scott film, the 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 um, uh, Gladiator sequel, and and uh, people say he, he suddenly leapt out of uh, you know uh, After Sun, and uh, I I didn't think he was all that effective and all that dynamic or anything. And I I know he's also in a streetcar named Desire revival in London. You know, the guy is suddenly like, you know, people were like paying attention to him. And he's like, do you think that he had the, you know, the indescribable it factor that will make him into the new Russell Crowe or the new? Oh, God. No. Well, I mean, I don't want to be mean or anything. Um, it's not Russell Crowe, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to have to see something more than After Sun because I didn't. I mean, I understand why the crit, the film Twitter people love it so much because I think that they probably see their father in that. But I'm older than them, so I don't really yeah. see my father in that movie. But you know, I'm a you know two generations removed, so I can't really see it the way that they see it. I thought she was cute, the little girl in the movie. Thought it was an interesting idea, but to me, it would have made a very powerful short film. Like around 40 minutes. I don't really think it's a whole movie. Idea. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, that's a good idea. All righty. I will catch you later. All right. Uh, wonderful talking with you. Yeah, nice talking to you too. Have a good one. That's what I'll do.